welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. This is episode 19. I'm Christina Suzaman. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, with me here today is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Glenn. What's up, Doc? <laughs> Hello, Christina, and <laughs> greetings and welcome, everyone, to Magical Medical Tour. I'm Dr. Glenn Wallman. I will be your medical guide today as we travel through the healthcare galaxy each week looking for ways toward optimal health. Christina, how's your optimal health coming these days? Everything is going great. The weather is getting so nice and hot here. I was just saying the other day that here in California, it's been so cool for our summers. And now it's almost like the gods have heard me and they're turning up the heat slowly. How about up there in Santa Barbara? <laughs> Oh, it's only um, paradise. Oh, okay. That's all. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> oh, it's only, uh, oh, yeah, there it is. It's perfect. Oh, it's fantastic, isn't it? What's new in the Trinity? The Trinity. What is new in the Trinity? Oh, what are you doing uh, this week in the Trinity? We are, we are actually um, having an individual on that's going to talk about how to relate to the healthcare system. So that's going to be tomorrow's show, of course. But last week's show you might be interested in is where we were um, at the event with uh, the Yogmata Keiko Aikawa, the Himalayan master that came through here in L.A. And uh, so check that out. Get a little essence of, of meditation. I got to tell you that after that session and uh, uh, Diksha with her, wow, the meditation comes fast. Stillness comes fast. <laughs> so, Beautiful. Yes. I Beautiful. Wonder, wonder why they reach Samadhi uh, so quickly. 18 times in 16 years, that's not bad, huh? <laughs> no, I, I was listening to a lecture the other day, and they were talking about the different minds of people that are in places like Tibet versus in uh, the United States. Mm. Uh, there's less uh, activity and more nature in many of those places, so they have the ability to go to a quiet mind more quickly than we do many you know of the time. I mean, that's not everyone, but they, they actually, um, when they go uh, into their meditation and they actually reach Samadhi, it's actually in public. And it's during one of these events that they have in India where there's thousands and thousands of people. And then they actually bury them in the ground, like into this cavern in the ground <laughs> and seal it off. I don't know about being in that kind of heat. <laughs> I don't know either. It's either, yeah, it's like, okay, Samadhi, like just that borderline between life and death, right? <laughs> Reaching that divine. It's an interesting place to be. Oh, yes. So. But it's interesting to be here too. Today, uh, we're going to be speaking with uh, someone that's in the healthcare profession uh, that uh, is in a different aspect, but uh, very important in health. It's uh, Dr. Richard Fox. He's a teacher. He's a student. He is a contributing editor for a sports magazine. He's mm. developed and patented and designed an, a protective athletic uh, knee brace. He, he also works with, uh, he's the medical director of services for the Derby Dolls. Uh, it's a banked roller derby, all women's professional team. Wow. 
Wow. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's a fantastic musician, and uh, something he's doing now, which is very important, he works for We Fun, which he will be talking about soon. So I want to introduce to you, Christina, my friend and colleague, Dr. Richard Fox. Welcome, Richard. Good morning. Hi, Christina. Very nice to meet you. Hello, Richard. Pleasure to meet you, too. Are we going to be in for some wee fun? <laughs> I sure hope so. That's what life is all about. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yes, we want to talk about the wee fun at some point. Uh, we'll incorporate that in. And what I usually do, Rick, is uh, as the medical guide, I try to tell our viewing audience the path we may be taking today. We can never predict what it's going to be at the end. But we'll start with a little bit of your history and your journey, how you became who and what you are, uh, and uh, update us on that. We'll talk about the history of chiropractic, what it's about, chiropractic medicine. And we'll talk about uh, some of the things that you're doing today related to chiropractic medicine and we want to give our viewers information so that they can make uh, good health plan choices when they may or may not need a chiropractor. So how does that sound to you, Rick? Sounds absolutely wonderful. <clears throat> Beautiful. Let's start with uh, your journey. Uh, at what point did you decide you wanted to become a healer? And how did you eventually work your way to become the doctor that you are today? Well, I, I think my interest in uh, healing started when uh, I was about four or five and could recognize the uh, person uh, that was next biggest in life to me was uh, the family physician. Uh, this man knew how to make me feel better other than my, you know, my parents. I think every little child feels that. And then I, uh, as every kid, stray away from uh, that little aspect, but uh Pretty much when I met you and I, I was uh, an orderly at the hospital uh, working for my conscientious objector and uh, I, I saw this uh, doctor that was so compassionate and listened that uh, he inspired me to want to uh, become a, a, a member of the healthcare profession myself. So you took the direction of chiropractic and thank you for that. I appreciate that, by the way. Uh, it wasn't welcome. necessary to say. Well, uh, you know, uh, it was interesting. I didn't know anything about chiropractic, so I'd have to say chiropractic chose me. I uh, was very, very much indoctrinated into Western medicine. But uh, when I really reached a point of what do I want to do in life, chiropractic came up. And... Um, my first day at the uh, chiropractic college, there was an 84-year-old professor that got up and just gave this hellfire brimstone sermon, and I knew I was home. Mm. Uh, I knew I, I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And uh, then if I look at the formative years of my training, I uh, was hanging out with you three nights a week for eight to nine hours. <laughs> and... Uh, um, you played a big, big part in, in forming the doctor that I am today. Well, as you say, uh, chiropractic chose you. I think you were already there. It just had to be, you know, allowed to open. So you were already, I, I didn't teach you those things. You already had them. Well, thank but enough you. of thank this you. mutual admiration <laughs> society. Uh, 
let's talk about chiropractic for a while. I mean, I have, as a physician, you know, I was exposed to chiropractic uh, early in my career, and uh, there were many claims that chiropractors were making that uh, didn't seem to fit into uh, what I was learning in medicine. And then when I met you and uh, other friends that chose chiropractic as a way of going into the healthcare profession, our good friend Steele, uh, I started realizing, I watched the training that you all went through, and it seemed much more medically oriented now, and it seemed to me that chiropractic was changing uh, in its philosophy and a number of things. So could you give us a little bit of the history of uh, chiropractic medicine and trying to bring us up to date a little bit? We'll certainly get into more as we go on, but give us a brief history of chiropractic medicine, if you would. Well, you know, chiropractic really is uh, an, uh, a modern term for bone setting, which has been a part of many natural healing cultures for thousands of years. Uh, in our country, it started with a man by the name of D.D. Palmer, and uh, he had had a uh, janitor working in his general store, and according to the story, he noticed a uh, bump protruding in uh, Harvey Lillard's back and laid him down, pushed on his back, and a couple of days later, uh, Harvey Lillard said, gee, the other day when you pushed on my back, I heard a pop and my hearing got better. And from that, uh, D.D. Palmer then started studying the nervous system and um, kind of created a system of health care that was pretty much like um, osteopathy. Uh, instead of feeling that the essence of disease was bloodborne, like osteopaths believe, uh, we believe that the essence of disease came from the nervous system and lack of communication between our mind and our body, kind of like having a crimped wire um, and getting a short circuit. Um, as time has grown, when I first started uh, chiropractic 27 years ago, we didn't have access to MRI and we didn't really have a lot of access to x-ray because there was this concept that we were quacks and um, therefore a lot of the medical uh, association profession said, gee, we're not going to open our doors to you. Uh, since 1980, well, at that time, chiropractic was uh, don't diagnose, just, just adjust and let innate uh, intelligence bring the body to state of health or it's a runaway physiological process, and they're going to leave their body. Um, now, uh, since 1980, with the advent of acceptance from the uh, medical profession, with the advent of MRIs and other technologies, we've become a lot more evidence-based and uh, rely on studies um, to uh, prove the efficacy of, of there is a... Uh, a place for us within the healthcare professions. That was great. Uh, speaking of diagnosis, I have an email uh, right now from uh, someone that says, how does a chiropractor actually do diagnosis? What do you do in terms of working on diagnosis? Well, um, like you said, 
our education is pretty much the same as uh, medical doctors up until we get to technique. We don't go into pharmacology, we go into nutrition, we don't go into surgery, we go into adjusting and soft tissue techniques. But when it comes to the actual diagnosis, it's really based on taking a thorough history, making sure you look at the patient's body language because that's telling you a lot, and most importantly, listening to what the patient is telling you. There's a clue in that history that's going to start taking you down a path that's going to lead towards a diagnosis. Once you think you've formulated a direction, well, then, of course, just like uh, medical doctors, you either want to uh, bring in lab tests such as uh, x-rays or MRIs or blood work or EMGs, and you put the pieces of the puzzle together, and it gives you a diagnosis. Do you ever uh, hear of or do you ever do any uh, realignments or adjusting without doing all of those tests based on your own experience and knowledge? And how long does it take someone who graduates a chiropractic college to get to that point? Well, um, I, I, I think all of us, while we're students uh, and we're at a party, uh, we'll sit there and adjust our friends or we'll walk into the house of a friend and they say, gee, my neck's bothering you. And no, you're not going to do the full thorough history and examination and, and formulate a diagnosis. You, you just rack and crack them, as I call it. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the big mistake is you're doing that person an, an injustice and an disservice. Uh, manipulation is, is a very benign form of treatment. I, I'd say it's as benign as massage, but it's also based on knowing the patient, knowing, uh, gee, are you a geriatric? I, I want to be careful of the thinning of the tissues of the blood vessels. It's not always about adjusting or manipulation. It, it's about restoring motion, and motion comes in many forms, such mm -hmm. as mobilization, uh, uh, stretching, soft tissue work. Um, these are uh, a lot of the areas that I focus on now. It's it's not so uh, much the almighty adjustment because not everybody's a candidate for that. Mm -hmm. You know, that's interesting that you say that because over the past number of years, I've watched a lot of uh, chiropractic doctors go into variations on a theme uh, some are doing energy work where they're, they don't even seem to be touching uh, people anymore and still getting results. Others are using tapping techniques and a number of other pieces of equipment. Uh, what are your thoughts and how do you work with colleagues that do those kind of procedures? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I love what we do with words. To me, everything's energy work. Uh, Albert Einstein said it best, all there is is energy. And when we can match the frequency of our desire, the energy of our desire with the frequency of reality, well, that's physics. And so intention is the underlying uh, uh, power that I lie on. Uh, rely on. Uh, people don't understand this, but um, 
I go up, I wake up in the morning for 27 years. I wanted to help people feel better. Mm. And all of a sudden, somebody wakes up and they're saying, I'm not feeling so good. I'm going to call up this doctor I was referred to, or I'm going to call up this doctor I know. And you have an underlying agreement right there. They want to get better. I want to make them better. So here's this intention that we're going to meet under. And then, uh, again, going back to the Mutual Admiration Society, Glenn, I'm, I'm happy to say that you uh, exemplified an energy in doing consults in that emergency room that was very calming and soothing and reassuring to the patient. Uh, to me, I think uh, a doctor's biggest hurdle is alleviating the fears of the patient, mm. gaining their faith and their trust. And uh, that comes from the energy we put out. It comes from the way we relate to the patient and making them feel that they're the most important thing sitting in front of me right now. Mm. That's really so, beautiful. So I think everything in essence is a form of energy healing. Uh, I may address the cable and muscle system and the joint system, uh, but underlying that, uh, I'm uniting with that patient. Uh, there's an intuition of my, in, my innate intelligence, their innate intelligence, and we're soothing each other. Um, so, so, Richard, do you uh, tend to go to different conferences and seminars of other sort of healing arts as well? Yes, I, uh, I was pursuing my uh, master's in um, traditional Chinese medicine or what we refer to as acupuncture, but it's, it's way beyond acupuncture. Mm. And um, very much like Glenn, I've been a disciple of martial arts and been studying Tai Chi for... Uh, uh, a while now, and in fact, I use Tai Chi as a form of gate training with our uh, children here at the office so that they can learn proper heel-toe uh, gate, gate patterning. Fabulous. And we have fun. We have a lot of fun. You know, it's uh, toes to heaven, rock and roll, and wash hands. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming. <laughs> uh, Wow, that's uh, you, wonderful. I, I, I think uh, you find this in medicine. You'll find it in traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine. The individual practitioner is either going to relate to the patient or not. And uh, if using tapping devices, using uh, muscle testing for nutritional or weakness or strength uh, evaluation, um, everybody has some aspect that they're going to put their faith in. Otherwise, their path is failure. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've heard you say, I know I've said many a times, if you're going to need the surgery and you're going to go into the surgery, go in knowing it's a success. Otherwise, don't waste your time and don't waste the doctor's time. Mm -hmm. uh, it starts right there. Mm -hmm. Rick, how... Uh, does one make the decision to go to a chiropractor? Uh, I want to combine this with a number of things. Uh, decision to go to, say, Pilates or physical therapist or chiropractic, and then how does one make that decision 
and then we'll get into how does one choose a specific chiropractor. Okay. Um, again, just like I, I was saying, I think life uh, chose my profession to be chiropractic, and I just followed it. Uh, usually, most of our patients come from repeated failed uh, treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, whether it was the lack of medication, the lack of physical therapy, um, but acupuncturists and chiropractors tend to usually see people after they've been through the gambit of uh, trying other things. Um, and it's usually because either somebody has finally talked them into saying, well, look, I had really good results when I went to my chiropractor or uh, my acupuncturist. And so it really is a word of mouth um, Sometimes I think people just get frustrated and say, well, I've tried everything else, so I might as well try that and see if that works. Um, so that's usually how our patient base is, is formed. Uh, if you're lucky enough, uh, you sit down and, and you build up a relationship with medical professionals so that they understand that you're a caring and a good doctor and, and uh, you form a referral basis. I, I work with a lot of medical doctors. Um, and I think the best thing is to create a team approach. I don't feel any one uh, pathway in life has it all, mm-hmm. but it's emergence of everything. So how does one choose uh, a specific chiropractor? Is Again, is that what you're saying? It's word of mouth mainly? It's, it's word of mouth. Uh, I had a new patient. Uh, she'd been going to a doctor for a couple of months now, and... Uh, <clears throat> She called me up yesterday, and I said, well, how did you hear of me? And she said, well, because of Yelp. And uh, I saw your reviews on Yelp. So that was one way. Um, I get a lot of exposure in my own practice because of my involvement with athletics over the last 26 years, uh, working with the pro uh, beach volleyball players, the uh, flat track and bank track derby dolls, uh, roller derby teams, uh, U.S. Olympic track and field athletes, uh, professional hockey teams. So when they uh, find out that you're working with these kind of people, word of mouth spreads very fast, then okay, if they if they can go to them, I can go to them. Mm. Uh, so a lot of it's exposure. People do public speaking or, uh, you know, I can't tell you how many years I volunteered in the, in the pro beach tent or I've been volunteering for the last six years with the uh, roller derby. And, uh, you know, it's just a lot of fun. I, uh, you know, my, my training, a lot of my training was following you around, and, and it was in acute trauma and acute care. And as a chiropractor, you don't get to see too much acute. So uh, my passion for acute trauma uh, led me to, into athletic injury and field events so that you're right there when the injury happens and you get to address it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I got in, into that. I want to ask you a question about chiropractic itself and compare it to, uh, say, Western medicine, of course. Uh, We do a lot of scientific studies to uh, introduce a new drug or a new treatment or to evaluate an old philosophical way of treating something. And we have 
the studies that you're aware of, you know, the double-blind, placebo-controlled, meta-analysis, uh, prospective, crossover-type studies to try and eliminate all sense of bias and everything else to say, yes, this works, or no, it doesn't, or sometimes it does, and to determine whether placebo effect is the real reason or something else. Uh, what does the uh, College of Chiropractic Medicine do in, in those regards? Well, we, uh, we have a lot of studies that are going on currently. Um, we've also had a lot of studies that deal with uh, effectiveness of chiropractic versus medical treatment versus physical therapy. Uh, to show cost effectiveness, uh, decrease in uh, healthcare um, visits, um, satisfaction. Uh, people can go online and Google chiropractic research. One of the uh, studies that was going on um, while I was teaching at the uh, um, university here in Whittier, uh, Southern California University of Health Sciences, is we have different speeds of which we adjust. We refer to them as high velocity, low amplitude, which means a, almost like a, a Harley kickstart. I'm going to use, a, <laughs> I'm going to use a, a very rapid motion, but the impulse is not going to be a deep or um, traumatic impulse. It's going to be a light, low amplitude. Um, and so we were uh, using uh, pressure plates to measure how much pressure it would actually take to move the bone. And I believe that uh, study is currently going on over at the college. Um, and um, so there's, there's all kinds of studies. I refer to a lot of studies regarding chiropractic care and autism. Uh, the mm. extent of growth in autism has gone from one in every 10,000 children in the 1990s to one out of every 88 children um, to the point where I'm wondering if this is an evolutionary uh, evolvement of mankind. But, um, you know, so we have all kinds of studies. Uh, again, I think it's just a tool uh, in helping people. I don't think, uh, uh, I know my profession wouldn't like this, but I don't think it's the end all cure all. Um, I think we look at health as being the absence of disease. Gee, I don't have a condition, I don't have a disease, I must be healthy. And I think those of us who have created uh, health as a lifestyle and a way to be know that health is so much more than just the absence of disease. It's uh, vitality, it's living life. Mm -hmm. So we have all kinds of studies going on regarding blind and double blind and People can always go on Google search and uh, type in chiropractic research or what condition they would like to see uh, studies for, whether it's shoulder, neck, low back, hip, elbow, knee, and uh, read the articles. Mm -hmm. That's quite amazing. You know, um, I always think uh, of the times where um, I always constantly hear this. When I mention chiropractor, people just, I mean, they completely tense up. You know, there's a certain age group here that that I think there was a time where the chiropractors it was you know that that continuous adjustment and the continuous cracking and 
Absolutely, and, and, and unfortunately, that still goes on. There, you know, there was a big paradigm shift. We went from being quacks to we won a, uh, we won a uh, medical case where uh, we gained acceptance, and mm. that was in 1980. So what happened was somebody just let go of this pendulum arm, and my profession went, let's get the whole world onto our bandwagon. Um, I uh, see more harm in the chiropractor doing adjusting three times a week because mm. in order to get the adjustment, you have to break what we call the physiological barrier to get that audible. So you're overstretching the ligaments. And while uh, an adjustment is good, you also have to take into account now that I've stretched the ligaments, I need to strengthen and I need to stretch tendons. Um, when I talk with patients, I, I let them know in the 27 years that I've been in practice, subconsciously, there's three things that I, I know for sure. Survival of myself, survival of my species, and balance. And most of our joint problems come from being in balance. We'll have adaptive shortening muscles in the chest or in the uh, pelvic region from sitting. And then we go to stand up and we recruit the backside or posterior muscles. And we have this cable going, well, but this is as far as I go now. So these become overworked and they start complaining just like everybody who starts becoming fatigued. Mm -hmm. And so more times than not, the pain is not where the problem is. The pain is more... Uh, or the problem is more centered on the opposite side of the pain and musculoskeletal involvement. And uh, the pain is a reaction to the problem. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm so, I, I, tells you, I tell you, it, it's so wonderful to hear you speak about the way you work and get the essence of that because uh, it, it really removes the fear of you're not just there to crack <laughs> because that's really no. what it is like you know you hear the pop of course and but uh, you know you're you're relating it to actually it's not about how often they come in but how they also uh, an individual also has to take care of oneself in between the visits as well which well, you know our society is quite lazy aren't they <laughs> it, it, it's not only lazy but even the practitioner uh becomes lazy when it when, we do something interesting with words. I, I, when I'm teaching, I'll have students come up to me and they'll say, well, doctor, I want to I do ultrasound and soft tissue work on their paraspinal muscles because they're hypertonic. And I'll go, what does hypertonic mean to you? And they go, well, it means that it's a tight muscle. Okay? It's, it's really tight. It's overtoned, Dr. Fox. And I go, yeah, but what does it mean? I know the definition of it, but what does it mean? And they go, well, it means it's in spasm, Dr. Fox. I go, yes, I understand what it, what it defines as. What does it mean? And it took me a long time because I used to do the same thing. And when we understand or look at the word, when we say in a joint space, the center of axis should be right in the center of the two bones, whether it's rotating, whether it's lateral flexion, lateral flexing, bending, extending. But when we have a tight muscle, it's going to pull those two bones, sides of the bones closer together, 
And now we've shifted that center of access mm -hmm. so that all the movement is over in this corner where the tightness is. And that's going to overheat from friction. It's going to create physiologic responses. And although you may not feel the abnormal joint function because it's minor, it's going on. So to just adjust a bone, that tight muscle is going to pull it back. So it's getting practitioners, students to understand, don't just learn a word and use it. Learn what the word means and then use that understanding to apply your treatment to it. Mm. Mm. Wonderful. Sorry if I got long-winded. <laughs> Oh, oh no! It's a wonderful description because uh, you know I, I believe that uh, you know what we just talked about before the show, which was about the simplicity. You mm -hmm. make everything so clear and articulate and simple for us to understand. And thank you. <laughs> I can understand what you're saying. <laughs> we're going back. We're going back to that mutual admiration society. I I, I had a great mentor. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> when when someone does go to a chiropractor, especially a new chiropractor, and they they do a a pretty good examination on them and start working with them, is there anything that a person going to this chiropractor should know? Should they ask for what is your diagnosis? How do you substantiate this? And then how should they determine? how many visits they should have before they start getting better, assuming they're going to also, as Christina so wisely said, take part in the process and do things to help themselves. Great, great question. Um, I had a great uh, student. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I... I uh, I feel that any healthcare practitioner, while they're going through the uh, the learning process, is also learning a treatment protocol. So in medicine, it's let me try this avenue of antibiotics, anti-inflammatories, pain relievers. If that doesn't work, we're going to take it to the next step. In acupuncture, I want to see you a certain number of visits, and we're going to be needling and re uh, recommending herbal formulas, same thing with Ayurvedic medicine. Uh, in chiropractic, you're basically taught that uh, when you see certain conditions, you want to see the patient three times a week for a month, two times a week for a month, one time. A and life is not about squeezing people into a formula. It's about adapting a formula to a person. So I usually tell my patients, if we haven't seen at least 30 to 40% to improvement within four to five visits, I know what I'm doing is not working for you. So we may need to get further diagnostic tests in the form of an MR, uh, um, CAT scan, blood workup, um, uh, X-ray. Well, X-rays are something I usually do just based on what the history is telling me. Um, so usually, uh, uh, very much like with medication, a person should know within a week or two if they're responding. Um, some people have to also understand that, and I think, again, regardless of the pathway of, of healing, uh, 
my body's 70-something. I've got degenerative changes going on. My, my body has been doing this for so many years. It's going to take a certain amount of time for me to start adapting in a new way. Um, so I, I think these things uh, come into play. Is the person's age a factor? Is their outlook a factor? Uh, all these things come into play, but usually somebody should know within three to four visits. Um, I do tell patients, uh, be very weary of signing a contract. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's saying that regardless of how many visits I need, you're telling me it's going to cost me this much, and, and uh, so then I'm going to be bound uh, contractually. Uh, I don't think a, a doctor and a patient need a financial contract on how many treatments they need. So I, I, I say be wary of the contracts. Wow, I've never seen any of those before. Oh, they're out there, yeah. 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 You're, you're going to need this amount of treatment, and it's going to cost you about this much, and therefore uh, sign on the dotted line. We'll get you hooked up with this credit company. Hmm. And... Uh, you tend to see those very much in the volume practice. That's also something I tell people to be wary of is, is the volume chiropractor. Um, I, I, I think when we get into large volumes, we minimize how much patient time we get. Mm -hmm. um, a, a question that I have is, uh, for example, you know, I, I sort of believe in, in wellness, and uh, I, it's not so much preventative as just overall wellness. And even though I may not be feeling certain a certain way or discomfort at this time, I sort of like to go get my tune-ups. I treat mm -hmm. myself like a car. <laughs> like to get, you know, the air filters change, things like that. And then, you know, the tune-ups, you know, like adjust the brakes and everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, how do you feel about that? Uh, just as you said, you're the person living inside your body. You know when you need a tune-up. Um, I think we're seeing a paradigm shift in my profession where people are finally starting to realize. Uh, I don't know that it's a good thing because I make the mistake of using pain as a, uh, as a guide. Uh, Gee, you're out of pain. Go out there and live your life. I want you to be happy and enjoying your life. You're not in pain. Why are you here? Um, but then also at the same time, you know, when, gee, I don't feel right. I need to, I need mm -hmm. to go, uh, see my chiropractor or my doctor and, and get things realigned and get balanced. Um, and, uh, so we do, um, mm -hmm. I don't feel it needs to be a mandatory, gee, I want to see you every four to six weeks. Mm -hmm. As I said, you're living inside your body. You'll come to me. Uh, I want to let you know I'm always here for you, <laughs> but uh, it doesn't mean that uh, you need to see me every four to six weeks. Mm -hmm. I think I, I've, I've lived too much of my younger years with pain, so these days <laughs> it's like, you know, I don't want to wait till it gets painful. <laughs> well, I just want to keep know, balanced, you know. <laughs> You know, you're, you're right, but there are many ways to keep balanced. Uh, yoga, Tai Chi, uh, hiking, stretching. People pick a workout program, but they forget there's five aspects to a workout, starting with your attitude slash intention. 
then you have agility, flexibility, strength, and speed. But they'll pick uh, an aerobic. They'll forget about flexibility and agility and, and strength. They'll pick uh, strength, and they'll forget about agility and flexibility and aerobic. Um, so it's, it's really an integration of multitude of aspects that are going to keep us in, in alignment. Mm -hmm. um, the thing I like about yoga and Tai Chi, whether you call it prana or, or chi, is the mm -hmm. philosophy that chi nourishes blood, blood moves chi. So if I'm having stagnation, then I'm going to set myself up for pain. Um, so through doing asanas in yoga or doing forms in Tai Chi, we keep the blood moving, we keep the chi nourishing the blood because of breathing and good mindset. And so we can minimize our visits to healthcare practitioners. Mm. Not good for business, but great for the patient. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking about all those things, Rick, uh, when you mentioned Tai Chi and yoga, it seems that along with many of the things that you are saying, even referring back to earlier where a pain may be from the other side with a muscle compensating here, or when you go from uh, seated to standing, you're, you're engaging certain muscles. It seems like Pilates uh, recognizes a lot of this, and they do their main work is about the core and engaging muscles at the right time to keep things in alignment. Do you work with Pilates instructors and recommend Pilates to people? Yes, I do. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of Pilates because it does incorporate the, uh, the core. It, you know, and, and it's like anything. I, I, I think the Pilates instructor has to show the awareness to the student and make sure they're using proper biomechanics uh, and I see that more with Pilates instructors uh, because it's it's more of an individualized um, program. Um, I uh, tend to see with too many other forms where the instructor is trying to get a workout along with the mm -hmm. student, and so they don't notice improper biomechanics. Uh, the instructors that I've met through Pilates very, very aware of movement, of how to use the body, how to recruit it. Many uh, people in Pilates have also studied techniques like Feldenkrais or Alexander techniques that our dancers use. Um, so they incorporate those into their Pilates uh, as well. Um, so, yeah, I... Uh, I think that's a very, very important aspect. And, and I think Pilates, of all forms, does utilize agility, does utilize flexibility, does utilize uh, strength. Um, I don't know that speed is that, an, that much of an issue with that kind of a workout. Hmm. When you, I go to uh, a lot of health fairs, and I speak with a lot of people, as you can imagine, uh, especially working in magical medical tour. Uh, and I come across chiropractors that are showing that if you come to their office, they have these machines that you lie down on a machine and they will uh, do stretch you uh, a number of different motions, etc. I'm not as familiar with them as you might be. Can you enlighten us a little bit on this and what are your thoughts? Well, I'm not sure if you're talking about spinal decompression. Um, 
I can probably get in a lot of trouble if I express my real opinions on this. Um, spinal decompression is based on a couple of concepts. One of them uh, being that as I stretch the spine, I'm going to create a process where I'm pulling fluids uh, from around the spinal cord and around the muscles. Uh, we call it imbibing or imbibition. And I'm going to rehydrate the uh, tissues. It's a form of traction, basically. It also is uh, designed that, gee, if I add a certain tilt and a certain form of traction, I can reduce a disc. Um, one of the problems that I have with spinal decompression is when we look anatomically, the fact that in the disc you have the uh, what we call the nucleus pulposus, the gel aspect, and this is set inside a casing that's hard. And with aging or with trauma, we have to create cracks or fissures in that shell in order for the nucleus to ooze on out. So now I have somebody who spent $5,000 reducing this disc through spinal decompression, but they still have the cracks and the fissures where the disc uh, oozed out to begin with. Um, so what's going to happen when they start stress loading that disc again with their uh, daily activities of life? Um, I, I, I think we focus too much on pain relief. Uh, as a society. Um, uh, one of the things I recently went through this process and I, and I had a very, very, very good friend help me through this. Um, but my father left his body uh, not too long ago. And as a society in, in Western culture, we focus too much on abstaining from death, trying to retard death, trying to eliminate and create this long lifestyle where so many other cultural medicines focus on embracing this process and recognizing that it is a part of life. Um, it's a matter of enjoying and living a healthy life. And when that moment comes, leaving with joy rather than, than regret. And... Um, I, I think as our uh, healthcare profession has become so conditioned and pain focused, uh, we forget about what healthcare really is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I hope that answered your question. Yes, it did, and I think that was the machine <laughs> I was I was speaking of. And we won't get you in trouble. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we won't, Christine, and I promise not to tell anyone what you just said. <laughs> Good, good. Thank you. Nor, nor viewers. Your viewers have to promise too. Um, they're all they're all signing the oath as we speak. But <laughs> even though we don't want to have a contract with them, no, I I think we hear things and we go, God, that sounds great. But then when we take a minute to really look and examine something, uh, we go, All right, uh, it's great to a certain aspect and. Then there's also the cons to it. I, 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 uh, mm -hmm. I don't think people looked enough at the fact that nobody repaired the cracks and fissures in that annulus uh, or casing that uh, will prevent the disc from oozing back out. 
I see it a lot in my profession where I, where I see chiropractors really focus on restoring the curves of the spine and uh, how important this is. And, and, and the curves of the spine are very important when we're toddlers and we're learning how to walk because we fall on our bums so much and you have a, a spring coil. As adults, we don't really fall on our bums so much. And I would say 80 to 85% of the human population has a straight curved neck. And yet we want to refer to that as abnormal. Um, but if 80% of the population has something, does that make it abnormal? I don't know. Um, I, I, I just know that uh, if you were to ask a chiropractor why the importance of that cervical curve, um, I don't know that they'd be able to tell you. Also, what happens now that I spent three to 5000 restoring that curve and I sneeze, cause, fall, bump my head, stretch, sleep with two pillows? What have I done to the curves because muscle moves bone? Um, so uh, I think we hear things as practitioners. We jump on a bandwagon and say, yeah, 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 um, and go for it. My newest one is ice is great for drinks, not people. Um, I believe in cooling things, but not icing them. <laughs> we could talk a lot about that. Uh, does, uh, you um, know, in, in the world today, we're seeing people, everyone has low back pain, and then we go through differentials of someone has a disc, someone has uh, narrowing, someone has stenosis of the spine, someone has something in the sacroiliac joint, but it's all causing this lower back pain going down a leg. Where does the chiropractor come into the process of, of treatment in, say, disc disease, stenosis, um, things like that? Okay, well, let, let's take it from the fact that we've gotten the x-rays or the MR that show that there's uh, a, a disc stenosis, uh, narrowing of where the nerve exits. Um, stenosis for our viewers is, is a narrowing due to a, a narrowing of an opening due to a bony buildup uh, or a, a, a restriction uh, due to this, this bone growth. Um, when I personally look at uh, working with somebody with a disc, uh, a, a lot of things come into play. There's a wonderful technique that I learned from physical therapists called McKenzie Protocol, where we want to centralize the disc by having the patient do basically sets of cobras um, mm. to bring the disc from uh, being pushed up against the posterior aspect back to the center. Um, then there are also standing uh, um, stretches where you're bending from side to side like I'm doing now to bring it from right to left or left to right. We're all there doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're all having you uh, realign us right now as you're speaking. But uh, so there's McKenzie protocol. For me, a big part of it is, again, going back to adaptive shortening. Um, muscles are elastic. They're like polyurethane. They want to adapt to the positions we hold them in. I don't think anybody would have a problem if I said, gee, if I fractured my arm, 
and held it in this, casted it in this position for six weeks, that when I get the cast taken off, these muscles have shortened. So I'm not going to be able to just straighten my arm because the cable says that's as far as you go. This is the same angle as we sit. And we've been sitting since high chair so mom could get dishes done and clean up around the house and get away from us for 10, 15 minutes. Uh, we've been sitting in school. We sit when we get home. So we have the adaptive shortening occurring on the front side of our pelvis in what we call the hip flexors, the psoas, the proximal third, or the closest uh, one-third of the quad muscles. The glutes become weak because they're in an overstretched position in a sitting position. And so what happens is the tighter muscles put a tension on the bone that's going to affect the disc. So if I could stretch the cable and change the tension on the bone, then the reacting muscles don't have to work as hard in straightening me up. If you watch most people that come in complaining of a disc or low back pain, they're at a slightly flexed angle because the psoas muscles, the pelvis, have their body at this angle. And... Um, so what, what winds up happening is the erector muscles are trying to straighten us. And they're going, but this is as far as this cable here goes. Mm -hmm. And so the erector muscles are going to become fatigued, and they're going to create uh, fatigue and, and uh, start complaining in the form of pain. Do I have an ache? Well, an ache I can deal with, but then the ache becomes more painful, and it becomes actual pain or numbness or tingling. So we finally take the time to get it evaluated. So for me, my approach is I want to focus on changing the tension on the quads, the hip flexors, the glutes. Really, a lot of times people go to a, a, a chiropractor, an orthopedist, a therapist, and they say, oh, you have tight hamstrings. Well, if my muscle has shifted the pelvis and the point where the hamstrings attach gets raised, well, of course, I've got tight hamstrings, but it's mm -hmm. due to the tight quads pulling my pelvis forward. So it's kind of looking at one of those jewel puzzle boxes where you have to slip this panel to move that panel so that you can slide the top of the jewelry box off and, and get to your treasure. <laughs> so it, it, some doctors just like to use ultrasound, heat, and adjust. Mm. And come back, keep coming back. Um, some of us want to get you out of here. Uh, <laughs> I like those. Uh, uh, Richard, there's a couple of questions that came in. Um, this one says, I'm wondering about hanging bars to stretch the back, inverted hanging from knees or just hanging by the arms. Can you do any damage to your spine doing this? My lower lumbar area feels a little weaker than it used to be. I like inversion therapy. There are a lot of things you have to look at and your blood pressure being the most important. Um, as you uh, hang upside down, you're going to be putting more pressure on the heart. So you want to make sure that you're not going to create any cardiovascular problems. Um, you're also going to be putting more pressure on the blood and, and fluid supply to the brain and the throat. So you, you, you definitely want to make sure that you're heart healthy before you start inverting. Um, the length of time, the knowledge of time, 
And most importantly, just like everything else, go into it slowly. Allow your body to feel the stretch. Uh, don't just drop down into it and go, okay, I'm hanging upside down. <laughs> slowly, slowly allow your body to acclimate and you'll avoid injuries. Because yes, you can go into spasm very, very fast and fast. I think the inversion tables uh, seem yeah. to uh, help and also protect at the same time, whereas putting on the boots and hanging upside oh, down, yeah. even getting into that position sometimes for a newbie uh, might be very difficult. Yeah. But and, again, and uh, it's very good that you brought up that point about other things, people focusing on the spine, but it's really blood pressure and brain and heart and many of those things come into play also. Christina, you had another question? You yes, said? there is. Um, what is the best way to straighten and strengthen your back? Mm. Good question. When I find the answer, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be a multi-billionaire. Uh, kind of like the uh, what's the best diet. Uh, you're an individual. Um, sometimes there's a condition that we call idiopathic scoliosis scoliosis which is it's a genetically we don't know the reason why uh the side curves are occurring it's a genetic uh it's for whatever reasons i'm not so convinced that it's the straightness or the curves of the spine so much as keeping mobility um being uh, flexible um the body is going to go through what it's going to do, and some people have severe scoliosis, and they're completely asymptomatic, and some people have a very mild scoliosis, and they're just running to the doctor in excruciating pain. So to me, it's, it's really a lot more about uh, keeping things from being locked up versus how straight or how crooked my spine is. Mm. Mm. I know the feet. Theater, I, I think that's the most important uh, important aspect when it comes to biomechanics, including uh, manipulation of the, the toes, the phalanges, because of the heel strike, the toe off. Um, I think too much is made on the arch of the foot. Um, everybody wanted to rush people into orthotics, and I said, well, other than the Western civilized culture, whether it's European or American, who doesn't have flat feet? The Asians, the African Americans, the Hispanics, the Africans. Uh, and it has to do with the fact that in their culture, they didn't really go to establish an arch in the foot. And I doubt that all these Asians, Hispanics, Africans, and African Americans are having hip, knee, and low back pain because <laughs> they have flat feet. So I, I think we focus too much on, on that aspect. But again, keeping motion in between the bones of the feet, um, doing exercises. Uh, many of my instructors showed me that uh, power of movement comes between what the uh, where the ground and the foot meets uh, in martial arts, we have a technique called twiso, where you use sticky hands, sticky finger, very light touching, but you're feeling where the two hands meet. 
and my instructors teach me twiso between the foot and the ground. Mm -hmm. So the feet are very important because just like that old nursery rhyme, the foot bone's connected to the ankle bone, the ankle bone's connected to the shin bone, the shin bone's connected to the knee bone, and however the rest of that song goes. (laughs) Uh, Good answer. Uh, Rick, each week uh, I ask our guest for a health tip based on your own wisdom, experience, and journey that uh, many people don't know, something coming personally from you. Do you have one for us today? Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm with you on that. (laughs) You know, can you you, uh, tell us that Bobby McFerrin would do it? (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, you don't want. I can't even chant, let alone sing. <laughs> um, but you know, in my life, I've reached a point where all of my reality starts as a thought, and then goes to vibration, and from vibration to manifestation. And so, uh, and very much as the see, the secret, as a movie pointed out, was if I want doesn't matter what I put after want, then the universe will give me wanting. If I need, doesn't matter what's after need, it'll give me the experience of needing. So I myself had to say, well, I don't want or need, I want to create, (laughs) or I am creating and I am manifesting. So I, I, I think people need to understand it's up to them to manifest and radiate health and have a sincere desire to be an example for somebody else. Um, we all uh, look look towards these healthy athletes and these enlightened minds because that's an inspiration for what we want to become or are evolving to become. And so for me, it's, it's have happy thoughts. That's uh, where health resides is in positivity. And let go of fear. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Um, is there anything else you want to uh, bring up for our viewers today? We talked about many things, but uh, there might be something in the back of your mind that you think would be really good for us to also know. We fun. We can't we forget fun, about exactly. we fun. I've been waiting all this time to learn about we fun. <laughs> no, I had a lot of fun. I'm still wanting to learn about it's, we fun. <laughs> it's we fun. Okay, let's try that both. Christina, you and I will do okay. it together. How do we do it again, Rick? Wee fun. Just like okay, ready? Yeah. One, two, three. Wee, Wee fun. fun. <laughs> there you go. Now that sounds like a Chinese dish. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, it, it is. Um, let's see. I uh, I got invited into this uh, practice uh, that was started by a, a wonderful couple, Fiona. Uh, and Joanna and their occupational therapist and acupuncturist. And they have a team of occupational therapists and physical therapists. And uh, Joanna, the acupuncturist, is uh, the acupuncturist for the uh, LA Derby Dolls. And, and so uh, one night she said, Dr. Rick, do you know any chiropractors that work with uh, children with cerebral palsy? And I said, as a matter of fact, I do. And she said, great, can I get their name later? And I said, well, I'll give it to you now. It's Rick. <laughs> <laughs> and so she said, really? And I said, well, I got my start with the Special Olympics. And um, 
you know, I'm I'm not trying to rid an autistic child of a condition or a disease. That's that's not what they have. I'm not trying to cure the hemiplegic child, but we're trying to make it fun and make their therapy playful as well as therapeutic. Mm-hmm. And there are so many studies that show that when I limit physical development, I'm going to delay cognitive, cognitive development. Mm-hmm. So also, if I could stimulate physical development, then I should be able to stimulate cognitive development. And so our whole focus is on teaching them cognitive skills. Like I said, um, understanding maybe an autistic child will process two words at a time. So when I'm teaching Tai Chi, it's feet together, two words. Toes Mm -hmm. to heaven, they understand that. Rock and roll, they all like rock and roll as we roll the foot down. And then wash your hand to complete the motion. A lot of them will go wash your hand because they take things literally. But um, what we're doing is is basically just uh, utilizing the most uh, complementary alternative forms of health care, trying to get away from thermoplastic bracing to kinesio taping. the thing I love about it as far as my own profession is I have a three-year-old or a three-and-a-half-year-old who by age one had her first heart attack, by age two had, or by age three had two more heart attacks and mm-hmm. has a pacemaker. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old that's been through six rounds of chemotherapy for cancer of the liver. I've got hemiplegics that when you mention the Fab Four, the Beatles, they light up like... <laughs> like the Beatles are right there playing for them. Uh, these children are a constant reminder that they're my teachers to be joyous, to uh, be thankful for what I have, to not try and look at the parameters of normal as I describe them or as I've been taught to look at them, but that the parameters of normal don't exist. They just don't. We want to quantify a normal, but there isn't. There, there isn't any. And these children remind me of that all the time. Um, so mm-hmm. that's what we do here. Um, and it's so nice to see physical therapists, occupational therapists, medical doctors, uh, acupuncturists, and chiropractors all working together as an integrated team for a patient. Mm-hmm. And I, I would love to see that just continue to grow and perpetuate. Mm. So that's sweet fun. Wow. Wee! Fun. <laughs> yeah, we have climbing walls. We have uh, a ball pool that with the monkey bar uh, set up and a zip line that they get to swing over. They got to climb and go through this obstacle course, grab onto the zip line, fall into the ball pool, kind of climb their way out and go on to the next. So it's really a lot of fun for so is this, um, do they come like once a week as a group or is this individual? Uh, it's individual and then starting uh, July 16th through the 27th, we have summer camp from 12 to 4. So we have yoga for kids, kickboxing for kids, tai chi for kids, art therapy, sound therapy, 
speech therapy in the form that we have them play bingo and they have to call into the microphone N37 <laughs> and they have to figure out what piece goes where. Um, so uh, during the summer, we, we have a uh, portion of the time where it's a class type uh, of environment, but in the morning, it's always one-on-one -on -one with therapists and, and children. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. Well, it's, it, it, you know, people ask me what the best part of that I like about chiropractic, and I'd have to say it's the continual learning, mm -hmm. uh, um, the evolving process of growth. Um, I love when I get a difficult case that makes me think and uh, sometimes have to call up some of my uh, guides and say, uh, here's the symptoms, here's the signs. Uh, give me a direction because I've been thinking about this at night for three nights. So uh, the stimulation of thinking, and of, and of course, when you see somebody smile, get up, getting up from the table, mm -hmm. touch them and help them. But uh, the thing I like most is, is learning and thinking mm. and evolving. Mm. <sighs> Very nice. Well, I would like to thank my very special guest, Dr. Richard Fox, our special guest, Dr. Richard Fox, for sharing his wisdom and expertise with us today. I would also like to thank all of my healers and teachers, and I look forward to meeting with you and Christina next week as we travel through the healthcare galaxy. Until that time, I'm wishing you all optimal health. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Richard. It's been a pleasure and an honor to have you on our show, and I Thank hope you. to see you back on our show again. <laughs> Thank you so much. We're going to swoop you pleasure. over to Trinity of Life next, <laughs> so we can have some more wee fun. You know, well, Christina, you know we, uh, Dr. Fox and I were thinking about uh, surprising you and having him take his laptop and walk into the treatment area where you'd see some of the kids uh, doing some of their things. We decided not to do that this time, uh, depending on something else, maybe a future show. Yes. I mean, it would be just great to come in and do, you know, coverage. Of course, we'd have to have the consent of the parents and everything as well. But, you know, to cover what it is you're doing, I, I, I believe, I mean, I, I completely agree with you where you've created a a fantastic safe environment where the children can learn and grow and and I call the children our Zen masters. You know, they Absolutely. teach us so much <laughs> every day. You know, I'm <laughs> you know, an hour with them is like you may as well be in a mountaintop with a monk, you know, for that for five minutes. You know, I leave my office and, and I what problems? <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. You know, I, 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 I just, uh, the problems of, of life seem so minimal when, when you're hanging out with such happy kids. Mm -hmm. That was also and, something for me in the emergency department. Uh, when I would uh, leave the emergency department, I would go, what problems? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it would be, it would be the same thing. You know, you mentioned earlier uh, talking about osteopathy and the way they look at things. We're planning on having a doctor of osteopathy uh, in a few weeks on one of the shows to uh, enlighten people about their view of the healthcare galaxy. Mm. I, you know, 
It's interesting. When I did research on the history of chiropractic, uh, you'd go to an osteopath in the 1890s, and you would have to go for about six to ten weeks, and it was a very generalized form of manipulation through a body stretch or some kind of uh, hug maneuver or mm. something like that. Chiropractic was actually competing because it was done for $3 a, a visit. <laughs> <laughs> and allegedly, we were going to get you out in three weeks instead of six weeks. But the philosophy was, uh, I believe it was Mary Baker, Mary Baker Eddy. I'm not sure if that's the right person or not, but she was saying that disease was through the, the blood system. And um, chiropractic was saying it was through the connection of mind and nervous system, communi communicating with the body part. But one thing I'm kind of curious about, Glenn, because I've heard about the uh, philosophy and traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine and chiropractic and um, um, naturopathy, but where is the philosophy outside of the germ cell theory in medicine? Is there a philosophy about uh, healing? Well, I think, you know, it goes to, again, what you spoke about is each person is individual. So the people that practice medicine, although we follow a Western scientific viewpoint uh, and we live and die by the double blind study and things like that where we have the scientific method uh, that's our backbone where we look at the beginning of, of of things of medicine you have an illness there's a reason for it and usually we can find something that's uh, we can look at under a microscope or look at it in a lab test or in an imaging study and put it together and come up with a treatment that's been based on uh, science and and testing, etc. He's frozen in time. It's raising the frequency, you know. <laughs> it's that magnetic personality. <laughs> there you go. Oh my goodness. Well, he should be. Uh, he might just pop back up in just a second here. Some strange reason. <laughs> it's almost like. Are you setting this up on us? <laughs> I, I was going to say, there's no such thing as coincidence. <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, I, I, I was very lucky, uh, and I'm quite sure in, in the way that you know Glenn, that uh, he took me under his wing, and, and uh, I, I owe so much of being a, uh, what I consider a good doctor or a respected doctor within my profession to him. And uh, it was a great show you guys are doing. Um, thank you so much. It's uh, it's been very exciting, and I'm right with you about about learning and con that continuous learning is the fun part. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is not not doing the same thing for thirty. I, I think I would have committed suicide if I was doing the same thing that I, I started off doing thirty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but listen. I do need to get going. Um, I really did enjoy this. And uh, anytime you, if, if 
uh, I wasn't too much of a talker, then feel free to ask me and I'll, I'll arrange the time. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Well, we'll definitely arrange something further with you, um, uh, Richard, because I, I love the work that you're doing. And Trinity of Life, basically, it's, it's, the, it's the three areas of, of our, our life's journey from childhood to adulthood to our wisdom keepers, our elders. So I would love to tag in further with you on, on the, the area with children. I think you're doing a magnificent you know, gift to the planet here and, and to all the people who are involved with you. Thank you so much for blessing us all. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank and I will talk with you soon. Very good. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, okay. everyone, for joining us here on Magical Medical Tour. And we shall see you next week here on yogahub.tv. Namaste. Namaste.